Hello, and welcome to Right to Life of Michigan's Life Beat podcast. I am your host, Anna Plymert, and today Grace Hemmeke is also joining me as usual. Hello, Grace. Hello. It is almost Friday, which we are so excited about. We're actually recording this on Thursday. This week, we're going to be talking about 2024 legislation and what we can all kind of expect for next year. It's kind of hard to predict these kind of things, but this is kind of a screenshot of what we think will be happening with 2024 legislation. And we just think that it's really important to talk about these things now because as early as January, we could be having um, call to action items for our listeners, for our affiliates, for our volunteers, for anyone who wants to get involved really and believes that these laws are detrimental to Michigan. So we're going to be talking about them today to get you prepared for next year. The first one we're going to be talking about is surrogacy. This has not really been a topic of conversation in the last couple of years. I believe maybe it was 2021 it kind of came up a little bit with legislation and different um, groups advocating for surrogacy contracts. So maybe we should explain what a surrogacy contract is before we talk about any legislation that has been introduced or passed. Sure, yeah. So a surrogacy contract is basically a contract that a couple wanting a child would make with a mother who's going to carry the child. And the contract would stipulate um, the expenses that the parents or the couple will pay for, um, what they expect the surrogate to pay for. And sometimes it will also stipulate that the couple expects the baby to be maybe they want a baby girl and they want her to be healthy. So they don't want any fetal anomalies. And they can also include because of that, an abortion clause stating that if they find out that their baby is not the kind of baby they want, if it's a boy instead of a girl, or if it has uh, some fetal anomaly or a, a disability that was caught in screening, like autism, then they can tell the surrogate to have an abortion and they can just try again later. It's very, very dehumanizing both for the baby and for the surrogate who's carrying it. It really reduces the baby to the status of a commodity and just makes the surrogate mother into kind of a living warehouse, which is not respectful of human life. Yes. So we've definitely, and previous years, if this conversation ever came up, Right to Life of Michigan made sure to be a part of the conversation and to also advocate for these women who are being taken advantage of. For most people, you've probably heard of a surrogate or uh, maybe even know someone that was a surrogate. And we still have um, surrogacy in Michigan that is legal, but there's differences in them. So there's surrogacy contracts, and then there's altruistic surrogacy, meaning maybe a, a family friend or a family member or just someone that you, I don't know, that you know or you found is willing 
and has volunteered to be your surrogate. You are not paying them. You are not giving them any contracts to sign saying you have to do this or you have to follow this. Along with that, once that baby is born from that surrogate, technically the surrogate is the legal guardian of that child until the intended parents adopt the baby. This is to protect the child in case, I guess, in case something happens, in case the intended parents change their minds. So it's to protect the child and also to protect the surrogate who, during that pregnancy, should have control of her body, should not be told that she needs to have an abortion and that she has no legal rights. So those are to protect women and the children. It's also to protect from women being used. So a lot of times when you have surrogacy contracts, women who are poor or uneducated or just looking to make some extra money, they are the ones that are targeted by these third-party brokers. And so that's why we believe so strongly that the children and women should not be commodities. They can't be bought. And a, a point that has been brought up many, many times that I think is a very valid thing to be thinking about is when you think about buying a human being or buying someone's body to have your child, that kind of sounds like slavery a little bit. You're buying someone. And we've abolished that many, many years ago. And so that is why we are fighting so hard to keep that out of Michigan. Along those lines, there was a bill that was introduced in the House to legalize surrogacy contracts. It did pass in the House, and then Senate went um, out of session for the year. Any action on that surrogacy contract bill would take place in 2024 as early as January, because that's when they come back into session. So do you think it's going to be pitched as this great thing for infertile couples or for couples who are having trouble having a baby? Um, I don't see that somebody who's a proponent of commercial surrogacy or surrogacy contracts would think too hard about the exploitative nature of it. I think probably they would just want to hold it up as a great thing for all these other couples. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how it gets promoted. And there are several other states that already have surrogacy contracts. Um, but when you look at the legislation that was passed in the House, it goes so much further than even that because, and I am no legal expert lawyer, so I might I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but if you look at the language of this legislation, it is it just has parent one and parent two. The parent wouldn't even have to live in the state. The parent mm. wouldn't have to be married to the other parent, which is very interesting. Definitely opens the doors for untraditional, maybe, family sure. styles. I'm not sure why you would adopt a child or, I guess, have a baby through surrogacy with someone that doesn't live in the state or live with you or, I don't know, it's very interesting. Yeah, there's a lot more nuance to it than just, oh, this is great for couples who can't have a baby. I mean, 
We've seen in other areas of the world and in the U.S. that a lot of times surrogate mothers will be chosen for their genetic traits or for their great health. And that really does reduce the status of the surrogate mother from a human being to just a collection of traits that a couple wants to use. So it's a lot more nuanced than just, oh, let's pay somebody to have our baby. Right. And there was even a case in Michigan a couple years ago, a woman from another state who had surrogacy contracts legalized. She was a surrogate for two men, I believe, and they found out that their baby had an abnormality during the pregnancy. And so they requested that she abort the baby. And legally, legally, she had to. The courts ruled in favor of the parent of the intended parents. And so she actually fled to Michigan because of our laws protecting surrogacy mothers and the children. And she was able to give birth to that baby here in Michigan. Hmm. That's really interesting. I we know and all of these scientific studies have shown that a mother really bonds with her child in the womb. And I think that's another aspect that maybe people don't think about with surrogacy is mm-hmm. you're expecting a mother to just give up this baby that maybe she's been paid to have in her womb, but she's still emotionally and physically bonding with this child. And the child is emotionally and physically bonding with her. They're going to, in a a kind of deeper emotional sense, they're going to know that they're missing each other once they're separated. There there will be a loss there. Yeah. And, and I don't think a lot of people think about all of the biological benefits that women and babies receive during pregnancy. Um, how, I guess I don't know all of the details of it. Maybe Grace, you know more, but I'm pretty sure that they're passing things back and forth between each other that can be healing in the future. Yeah, blood cells, there have been links to showing that it's preventative somewhat to cancer. So to some types of cancer when the baby and the mother are in the wombs and they're they're giving blood cells back and forth with each other because of the nutrients that the mother's body is passing to the baby. So that's that's just the biological side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of different aspects of it and that's why we are so passionate about fighting against surrogacy contracts and just all of the harm that they have done for women in other states. And we definitely don't want that for women in Michigan. We anticipate that that legislation will be having more action next year in 2024. Once it does, we will certainly have call to action items being sent out through our website and on our social medias. You will you will know about it once we do have something that we want you to call your legislator or um, start talking about this with your family and friends. Moving on to another piece of legislation that we also anticipate having more action in 2024 is the assisted suicide repeal that was introduced in the Senate 
right before they went out of session, which I believe was the beginning of November. Any action on that um, package of bills would also be, the earliest it could be taken up was January as well. Grace, you want to explain a little bit about that bill? Yes, definitely. So I know, and we could go and rehash all of Michigan's history with assisted suicide, but even just 30 years ago, Michigan turned out at the ballot box and very resoundingly with 71% of the vote said, no, we do not want assisted suicide in our state. And that's because these bills would make it possible for doctors to administer death to people who are terminally ill. Now, that might sound comforting in the moment. I mean, I've gone through loved ones dying and I'm sure all of our listeners have as well in some sense. It's really disheartening to see someone you love in pain and you just want it to to end in a very dignified and peaceful way. And while that's what assisted suicide is being touted as, that is not what it is. Assisted suicide is treating death as a cure for sickness. When death is treated as a cure for sickness in that way, you can apply it to any sickness. We've seen this in Canada. Assisted suicide in Canada is open to homeless, to poor people. It's open to the mentally ill, mentally ill teenagers. I know in our society, teenagers struggle with mental illness more and more. And there are actual medications for that. There's therapy for that. There are, there are friendships and family to help get you through that. Mental illness isn't something that needs to be cured by ending your life. Maybe that didn't explain exactly what the bills are, but the bills would legalize doctors distributing death to terminally ill patients. Right. We have a whole feature on this. I think it was a couple episodes back about assisted suicide. So if you want to know more about Michigan's history, we explain all of it in that episode. But what I think is interesting about these bills is, and for most states or countries that start the process of legalizing assisted suicide, they start on the very basic level with a lot of protections, meaning there is a certain amount of weeks or days you have to wait before you can actually receive um, assisted suicide. You um, have to be signed off by two different physicians, things like that, different different guidelines that you have to follow. And, and to some people who see the mercy side of assisted suicide and see it as compassionate, maybe they say, okay, that's great. We can still have it, but have these have these guidelines and protections for people but then you look at other states and you look at, at Canada, for example, and you see they all started there at that point, And then they continue to progress at a very rapid rate of repealing these restrictions and protections until they're at the point of where Canada is at, where if you're homeless, you could potentially have get assisted suicide. You could get it if you were a teenager who was depressed. And so that's why there are many groups, including us, who are fighting so hard against assisted suicide because we see that it is a slippery slope. 
I know Grace and I have talked about that before on the podcast, but I think that's the most simple way to explain it and why it would be so dangerous to have it here in Michigan. Yeah. And slippery slope is, I mean, you apply that because you see it playing out practically. Like First Canada applies made medical aid in dying, that's their name for the program, to the terminally ill. And then they're applying it to people who aren't terminally ill, but are in chronic pain. And then they're, so it's the slippery slope is the practical effects of how physician assisted suicide plays out. But if you look at the way people think about physician assisted suicide, it's not a slippery slope. It's a plummeting cliff. (laughs) I mean, I, I said it before, death is not a cure. When you treat it like a cure, You can apply it to any illness and not just illnesses. You can apply it to societal problems. Canada has socialized medicine. So that means the government would pay for a very large portion of healthcare. And even in the U.S. where we we don't have socialized medicine and the consumer pays for a lot of the healthcare, somebody's paying for it. And if medical aid in dying, if a physician-assisted suicide is cheaper if it's the cheaper option, and if you're in a dark place physically and emotionally, if you're despairing because you think your life is ending because you don't you don't see a way out, that cheaper, easier option is very appealing and it applies to a lot more than just someone who's terminally ill. The worldview is not respectful of human life. It doesn't treat human life as the, the good that we have to pursue, it treats a happy, healthy human life as something that's good. And it treats any impediment to that happy, healthy life as something that makes life no longer worth living. Yeah, so we are definitely fighting against these bills, against this package of bills that have been introduced in the Senate. They have not passed. And so that is good news, but we definitely need to keep fighting. We need to keep calling our legislators and we need to keep educating people. Maybe our friends and family view assisted suicide as compassionate and don't see why it's so dangerous. And right now would be the perfect time to start talking about that. I know it's a very strange topic to be talking about casually with your friends and family, but It is so important to be talking about. We're definitely going to be talking a lot about it in January and the months to come as the legislator comes back into session. Keep an eye out for call to action items on our website and our social media. And I guess the last piece of potential legislation, um, we know that the Reproductive Health Act was passed this round in session by you know the house and the senate and eventually the governor did sign did sign the package of bills and so that repealed many of our life affirming laws that we have protected for many years and that have protected women for many years but there's one piece of the reproductive health act that they kept out this round and that is parental consent for abortion This is critical that we continue talking about this, that we continue being educated on this topic because it's going to get brought up again. And we've seen that in numerous interviews with 
pro-abortion activists and legislators that, you know, they didn't bring it up this year because they have more educating to do to the public, which is interesting thing to say. But we do believe that they are going to continue pushing the envelope on on that topic. And we it's hard to say what the education for, for their perspective would look like. And I would think that it's common sense most parents would want to keep parental consent intact in Michigan. We are definitely going to continue talking about it and educating parents in Michigan. Yeah, the, the parental consent issue is very interesting. Currently, it prohibits a minor from getting an abortion without parental consent. So pretty obvious name there. But if if a minor doesn't have parents, if they're in the foster care system, or if they're in an abusive parental relationship, they can still get a judicial bypass. Now, we would obviously prefer that nobody have an abortion, but the option is there in Michigan for minors, and we need to be realistic about that. So I just find it very interesting that the pro-abortion folks in Lansing are pushing education on this. I'm not sure what the goal is there. They probably want total and free access to abortion for anybody at any time. And they're just trying to remove any kind of any kind of protection for mm-hmm. young girls because it would benefit the abortion lobby. I don't know. What what do you think about that? Unfortunately, I do think that money probably plays a part. And I mean, if minors could receive abortion without parents knowing, that would obviously increase the number of abortions, increase money. But obviously, we don't want to look at it like that because that is very sinister. And, you know, we, we do have the judicial bypass. And I've seen this past year in different media reports and interviews with pro-abortion activists and legislation legislators that... We need to repeal parental consent because of that one of that one girl who has this horrible situation and mm. and she needs a way out. And you know, she's in foster care and she's being abused. But that's exactly why we have the judicial bypass. We're not, you know, we're we're providing an option for them. Right. And then and then they'll come back and say, Well, that's so scary having to go to court. We, we can see all of the numbers of minors who went to court and got one. And it's not a high number, but I believe most of them that went to court were able to get it. I don't know. It's a very interesting topic and one that we'll definitely be, be talking about more. Um, I do think it's important that we get to the root of why they're pushing so hard to get rid of parental consent. What is the motivation behind that? Because it's not a new one. They've been doing this since 1990s. They've been doing this a while. They've been pushing this for for many, many years. And I don't know if it's because if there's limited access to one group of people, it somehow makes abortion look bad. I don't know if that could be their reasoning. Yeah, it, it's definitely a wake-up call to parents, no matter what the reasoning is. Mm-hmm. There are some serious safeguards that parents have the right and the ability to implement in their kids' lives, 
And this is one of them that we very happily have legalized and we'd like to see it remain legal. Yeah. And and purely because it's protecting children at the end of the day. It is protecting children. Anyway, those are all of the package of bills or legislation that we anticipate we'll see some action on in 2024. Obviously, we can't really predict anything. We can predict things, but we don't know for sure. And so we'll just have to stay tuned and be on the lookout for any call to action items. Again, you'll see them on our website, on our social media, probably in your email inbox. So please keep an eye out as early as January of 2024. I think that wraps it up for this episode of Life Beat. Thank you, Grace, for joining me today. Of course. Have a happy weekend, everybody. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.